You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Ouellette. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years' experience. I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Welcome to the spooktacular scary stories from the piercing room episode. I couldn't think of a Halloween episode because there's really not a lot of like Halloween-y stuff related to piercing shops unless you want to talk about like what costume you wore to work. Did you ever do that? Did you ever dress up? Once. What did you dress up as? A cat. A cat? A sexy cat or like a ferocious cat? Oh, you know what? That was a lie. I've dressed up many times. I just have a really bad memory. Um, I dressed up as a cat. I dressed up as Rorschach. I dressed oh, I up. remember seeing the Rorschach picture. That was cool. Yeah, I, dre- I did. I just did like a sort of zombie throat cut thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just lying before. Apparently, I've done that a bunch of times. I just I have a really bad memory. Okay, relationships are built on trust. Yeah. So um, you were gonna find pictures of me dressed up and be like, "What is what this? Is this? <laughs> Who is he?" Um, I I dressed up a couple of times. There there were back when I used to have fun at work. Um, and I had tattooers, we would, we would like make a whole thing of it. We did like the, you know, $31 Halloween tattoos and, uh, it's a bad idea, which is a bad idea, by the way. Um, I don't know your opinion on like sales and specials and things like that. If it's like a, a very, very rare occasional thing, they can be nice for like, you know, getting whatever. But I, I found that when we were doing those like Friday the 13th bullshit things or like Halloween bullshit things, we would just get like the cheapest possible people who didn't give a shit who we were, what our shop name was. They were just showing up to get a cheap tattoo or like a discount on a piercing and they didn't, they would never come back because they didn't even care. Yeah, there was a definite vibe shift from when I started piercing because I used to do like a special as well. Yeah. Um, Not for years now, but I did used to do like a first Saturday of the month type thing would always be really full of because we didn't do a student discount or any other kind of discount so everyone would file in on that day before it became too cost prohibitive and we phased it out but um, it, it would start off as being like regulars people that were in and out all the time just looking to get something at a better price and part of me is like you know there's nothing wrong with people bargain hunting that's the whole point of a special specials attract bargain hunters yeah but things start to get pushed further and further and further like um if you're doing 13 pound tattoos or 31 pound tattoos it starts to be like well could i also have this and can it be this size and these colors and these things yeah because you'd be like black outline plus like one or two colors and they'd be like well but i really want this and it's really special to me and blah 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 you'd be like well if it's special to you come back any other day of the year and just get it done so yeah it that that shifted further and further every year to the point where most shops just don't do it now. So mm. We got to the point where, even when I still had tattooing, we would just get that flood of phone calls in the couple days leading up to it. And, and it would just be people like, oh, yeah, yeah, are you doing the cheap tattoos? Okay, which shop is this again? And be like, <laughs> oh, no. Um, so, yeah, so now I'm, I'm no longer fun. Um, oh, I also used to do a thing where it was like, if you come in on Halloween dressed in a costume, I'll give you a discount. That one wasn't so bad because that was at least fun and they had to put in some effort for it. But still, I don't really do any discounts anymore. Um, I wanted to talk about things that are actually scary to a body piercer. So, like, 
I don't think a lot of body piercers are going to be afraid like terrible of. quality jewelry. <laughs> yeah, externally threaded jewelry. Um, no, like a, a lot of body piercers aren't going to be scared of ghosts or vampires, but uh, there are some things that I think we all encounter as body piercers that can be really scary. So I thought that that would be a, a good corny, cheesy Halloween episode, and especially mm-hmm. to record. I like to record stuff with you, like in person. You know, we can obviously record over Zoom, but. You're here in my house, which is very nice. It's a nice yeah. special treat for me. You're here for Halloween. Um, we're actually recording this at 6.30 in the morning mm-hmm. on Halloween. Because scarily early. Scarily early. Because um, jet lag, you're up early. So therefore, I am up early. Um, but we've been having fun the rest of the trip. So I didn't get a chance to, to do it earlier. Mm-hmm. So you want to record a Halloween episode? Not right now. Yeah. What are, what are you doing? Are you busy? Okay. Okay. Well, I have a couple of different things that I wanted to talk about. And the first one I wanted to talk about was um, the first time you ever encountered a client uh, pass out and then have one of those little mini seizures. One of those like fainting, twitching, oh my God, I don't know what's going on moments. Some, some piercers are trained really, really well for first aid, but some piercers like... There are some scenarios that you you can't really be fully trained on them. You can be told like, you know, oh, sometimes people will have this reaction and it's it's going to maybe freak you out a little bit. But the first time you encounter it is straight up scary. So what was that like? Do you remember a client like that? I remember, um, I can't remember which one came first. I remember the first time a client had a, a fainting episode that looked like a seizure and I remember not knowing if they were having a seizure and at that point in time um, we would actually take each consent form into the piercing room like it wouldn't be kept at reception we would take it in because at that point I was seeing a higher volume of people so to make sure that I knew everyone's name I would always bring the form with me and I remember like looking over it and seeing if there was anything that they'd written down that I'd missed and there was nothing Um, and the whole thing must have just taken less than 30 seconds but it feels like a lifetime when you're like how long because i was holding them um kind of like they're trying to keep them from falling over yeah at that point um i think they were kind of sitting up on the bed but the bed was against a wall so they'd leaned back against the wall so i was kind of like loosely holding them around the shoulders just to stop them like falling to the side or anything because i remember being worried that they would like you know hit their head or something um and uh yeah, I I had no idea what I was doing at all, and I remember just thinking like, how long am I supposed to let this go on for before, before you I, ask for help? Before because I didn't want to let go of them, and I can't remember if that was the first one, but they're either the first or the second person that I had that fainted. They fainted against my door, on the inside of the room, so they were kind of all ready to go, and they weren't the door shut. There weren't really any hallmarks that they were going to to faint. It wasn't like the same sort of th- thing. They didn't start jerking around until after they fainted so they fainted and were just kind of sat with their back against the door um so like i called for help and then of course the first thing that one of the tattooers is going to do is run through the door so i was kind of like propping them forward a little bit and kind of like opening the door crack and being like don't hit the door don't hit the door (laughs) just you know (laughs) just gently nudge the door Um, and having one of those kind of things and then obviously the person kind of comes to and they're like, what's going on? And you're just and everybody's just sheer panic and, and freaked out. My, my favorite thing to do in those moments where someone 
it doesn't come up very often these days, but when someone faints and then they come back, I always like to say, welcome to the future. <laughs> uh, I, I remember, not incredibly specifically, but I remember at least vaguely the first time, uh, you know, clients have passed out, whatever, not a big deal. They pass out, you know, once they go flat and the blood comes back to their head, they come back pretty quickly most of the time. Uh, but the first time I encountered someone that passed out and then started shaking, uh, scared the ever living shit out of me. And like, it was a moment where it was a teenager with their parent in the room, which is double scary because like you're trying to manage the parent from not freaking out and like calling an ambulance and stuff like that. And you're also trying to protect the client, making sure that they don't hit their head on the way down or if they're shaking, like I know through first aid classes, like if someone is actually having an epileptic seizure, you're not supposed to try to hold them down because like you can injure them, they can injure you. Uh, they said like in, in some scenarios you can take like, you can take off your jacket and put it under their head as like a pad or something like that, but you never try to hold someone down. You never try to pin someone down. Yeah. So in the scenarios where someone passes out, if they're already laying down, good, you know, but a lot of times people pass out once they sit up or once they stand up to look at something in the mirror. So very often when someone passes out, it also goes hand in hand with like, you're trying to hold up a limp person or like slowly ease them down to the ground. Yeah, and um, I don't know about you, but we've probably both had those moments where something like that happens during a nipple piercing, for example. There's that moment where you're holding a shirtless person yeah. that's gonna wake up and have no idea where they are, or what's going on, and you're just like, I need to make sure that this is handled <laughs> as clearly as possible. <laughs> um, yeah, like that's something that I've spoke with other piercers about in the past from like a, a safety aspect is, the way that you pierce people is it goes a huge way to um, enforcing their safety in the in the event that they faint or pass out or or even have a seizure. And I've seen other people pierce before a particular way that to me is like a little bit alarming. Where I've actually kind of said like, so you, so if you're doing the piercing like this, like what happens right now in this moment if they pass out or faint? Like what do you do? Where do you because Say, for example, someone is sitting upright without any kind of a support behind them. In my head, that just sets off a little bit of an alarm. Sure. <laughs> like, if the worst thing that somebody could do is fall backwards and basically do a backflip and land on their head. So, so it's good to kind of think about stuff like that in how you pierce. You know, like instead of waiting for it to happen, think, like, if someone was to fall, how would they most likely fall in this situation? So right. I, I try and incorporate that into piercing, you know, fainting or no fainting to make sure that that doesn't happen. Yeah, sometimes like you can go overboard thinking about like, well, what if this, what if this, what if this? But that is definitely a scenario where it's just like, it's not a what if, it's a when. Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's it'll happen eventually. If you pierce people when they're sitting up, sooner or later someone's going to pass out while they're sitting up mid piercing. And I don't know if you've ever seen this, I have an amazing video where I was doing um, oh, uh, I have. I have seen the, the septum one. Yeah, someone yeah. was sitting up. I was piercing their septum with a septum clamp, and I had a GoPro on, and then they, they fucking passed out right as I was piercing it. So mm -hmm. in the video, I like deftly popped off the septum clamp and controlled their head, and the needle was still completely yep. through their septum, and I had to control their head to protect them, but to also make sure that they didn't turn into like a spiked mace and drive the needle right into my arm or something like that. Yeah. And then I had to like carefully lay them down while they were passed out with a needle through their septum. 
See, that to me is like one of the, the most high risk kind of like fainting scenarios, oh, yeah. mid piercing. And I septum piercings are the only piercing that I do sitting up. Everything else I do lying down. So everyone's always on their back 100% of the time anyway, apart from cleaning and marking. Um, so what I do is when I do a septum piercing, I'll do the piercing and I'll explain to the person before we start that I'm going to do the piercing, you know, sitting on in front of them, kind of underneath them on my stool. Um, and then as soon as the piercing's done, I'm just going to have them lie down while we do the jewelry and while we get them all cleaned up and everything, because it's usually during the jewelry transfer or after the piercing that most people tend to start to kind of drop and decolor and yeah. get sweaty and, and seem like they're going to pass out. Um, so I always have people as soon as the the piercing has been done to just um, transition from sitting to lying down and then they lie down for the whole rest of the time and take as much time as they need because that for me is like the biggest fear is somebody fainting mid-septum piercing sitting up. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean that's my fear now and it's because it's not like some hypothetical, it's because it happened and I completely forgot that that video existed. Mm -hmm. I should definitely get that on Patreon just yeah. as an example of like this is what could happen sort of a thing. I remember you can see the color drained from the guy's And face. then like the eyes, like that. that's what I try to train people on now when I talk to people about first aid is like you need to be... I know that some people are socially awkward and they might look at their shoes or they might look away or whatever, but like I train people when you're doing aftercare speeches or as soon as you're done with like the piercing, you you need to like lock eye contact with someone. Like you need to look at their pupils, you need to kind of like notice their skin tone, you know, if they're sweaty or whatever. And like sometimes you have to force people, not force physically, but force like verbally. Uh, to lay down or to sit down or whatever because sometimes people feel self-conscious they feel like they're wasting your time they feel whatever and it's like no no no, I'm fine no no no, I'm fine And it's like well no, no no like you don't look like you're fine why don't you lay back let me get you a cup of water have you eaten recently would you like a, a piece of candy for some sugar you know whatever but you need to you need to manage those people but it's gonna be really scary the first time you get someone who faints and it looks like something other than fainting mm -hmm. you know give it a minute they're, they're going to come back. They're going to be fine. Um, I would hope that if someone was epileptic, uh, that they would, you know, tell you that through the informed consent, that they would tell you ahead of time so that, like, if something does come up, you would know, like, okay, this isn't just, like, fainting or whatever. But that's never come up for me before with, like, an actual genuine seizure. But uh, that whole, like, fainting thing, pretty scary. Um, have you ever had somebody not disclose something to you and then disclose it at a later time and then kind of had I, oh, yeah. I had a I had a, a really good customer who's who is always great um, had lots and lots of piercings done and then at one point several piercings into our piercer client relationship they were like um, yeah I'm actually a hemophiliac um, I just didn't, I just didn't <laughs> want to put it on the form in case you know like you wouldn't pierce me and I thought I'll just see how things go and I was like I love that expression I'll just see how things go meaning you'll just see if you just bleed uncontrollably right. let's just find out let's just see, let's just see what happens that's terrifying but there was never nothing you know nothing actually it didn't come out in any way yeah you know, like there weren't any signs but fortunately you know in that situation but I was like thanks um well bleeding is the next thing that I wanted to talk about is something scary because like uh, I think any body piercer of any level has had some sort of experience where they're just like ooh you know ooh, <laughs> what, what do I do in this moment or how long do I wait before again I maybe ask for help or try something different 
Um, how many piercers, how many times have you, how many times have I been there with like, it's your last Q-tip, this is the last one you got, and it's soaked with blood, so then you have to make that decision of like, okay, do I change gloves and do I go get gauze pads and just do compression? Do I just get another Q-tip? Do I just have them lay back? Do I pinch the area? Do I pull the piercing? What do I do? So are there any like scary bleeding moments that you can think of? Um, I suppose there, there's, I mean, I've had a few people um, bleed more than I would have liked for sure. Um, once I but, was... But just to be clear before we get into it, None of these are medical emergencies. We've never had to send somebody to a hospital. Like, no. Yeah. I ha well, I'll, I had to send a woman to the hospital, not for a piercing I did, but uh, a young woman came to my studio for a wellness check. Um, this would have been a, a year ago. and I, I think I remember this scenario. Yep. So she comes to the door and I'm thinking, oh, she's just had a tattoo because she has this massive bandage on her throat and it is black. And I'm thinking, oh, she's just been and had a tattoo. Nope. The black was blood, heavy, heavy blood. That surface had, anchor? That had, it was a, yeah, it was a surface anchor, dermal anchor. Um, and she came in and she said, I've just had this done yesterday. Um, can't remember where, it doesn't matter. Wasn't, <laughs> certainly wasn't with me. And um, she was like, I think something's wrong. Can you look at it? Um, and I'm looking at this sodden, huge, you know, like tattoo size um, dry lock pad almost type thing. So I'm like, okay. So we went through and carefully peeled it back and had a look at it and you could just see this little gem in this pool of blood that was pulsing like actually pulsing like coming out pool pool um that was that was pulsing and so i took some some gauze and i kind of gently just patted it to try and dry up the blood so that i could see what was happening and i'm patting and i'm looking and i'm patting and the blood's not going anywhere and then i realized the pool is actually a hole and that it, there's no skin under the it's not a pool on some skin it's a hole a massive hole in her throat. What would you guess in mills? <sighs> More than five. This was a diamond. It was like a huge diamond of tissue. So whatever's happened, it's all been bunched up. And I can't imagine somebody would have used anything smaller than like a three millimeter punch, but it was significantly bigger than that. But that was me just kind of guessing. Maybe they've used a huge punch, had everything bunched up all together. Maybe even then, I have no idea how you would get a hole that size. And I was just oh, like, I, I have um, an, I, yeah, it just if they pinched the skin together and like pushed all the skin into the, yeah, I could, I could, I could visualize and it. And I, I kind of just had one of those moments where I was like, I have to politely explain to this nice lady. She has to go to A and E right now and get stitches. Which is accident and emergency. The emergency ER room. room. Um, because a lot of the time people don't want to go to to A and E because it's like eight hour wait to get something done. And I was yeah. like, oh, I'm pretty sure they'll see you quite quickly because they usually see people in priority. And I think an uncontrollably bleeding throat is up there with something sure. that they'll deal with pretty fast. Um, and then I was like, you know, I can't touch the dermal anchor. I'm, I can't, I certainly can't take it out because at the moment that's the only thing that's stopping this from, from even slightly bleeding. So I, I remember just packing on a bunch more gauze, a bunch more dressing, and it just, as I was just talking to her for a couple of minutes saying like, get a taxi, go straight to the they nearest hospital. It just soaked and started coming off. And it was just, it, yeah, that was probably the worst thing that I've ever seen for in terms of like a medical emergency. Um, I've, I've fortunately never experienced anything like that from- From what you've done. Yeah, yeah. Um, or at least certainly nothing that I've ever seen. But that was probably the worst thing that I've seen. The, the, scary, the scary side of that, <laughs> 
thinking as an, an American in, in like, you know, a, a Sue happy culture is just the legal liability of it. If someone came to my studio, unfortunately, that's another thing that I have to train my staff on. If somebody calls, contacts, and they have something that would fall into medical emergency, uncontrollable bleeding, if the piercing was done somewhere else, like in the U.S., we can't accept the legal liability. Mm -hmm. Like even if we took the bandage off to redress it or something like that, then they could sue us and say like, well, it was fine until I came in to have it checked and then you caused it to blah, blah, blah. So that being an American, that's the scariest part for me of that story is the, the legal liability. Well, I've started to kind of not, I, I think like as that Sioux culture spreads and starts to permeate the UK community a little more, fortunately not much, but you can, you can always feel it creeping up. Like there have been a couple of times that I've had legal representatives reach out to me for like, you know, expert opinion or whatever, sure. saying, do you think that this was done wrong because we're trying to sue this person? And I'm always like, I'm not taking part in this. Yeah. I don't care. Like, and I know that there are some people that shouldn't be working and hopefully um, people can have their licenses revoked if they're performing unsafe work, but I'm not taking part in litigation against anybody. I, I'm not gonna do anything to fuel that particular monstrosity. Sure. But one thing that I've definitely changed in more recent time is um, I do a huge amount of fix-up work, correction work, like troubleshooting. I can have days where most of what I do is troubleshooting other people's work. And it takes the most amount of effort um, and always, you know, obviously, as you know, rewards the least amount financially yeah. for the you know maximum output. Um, because a lot of the time people are just looking for help and advice and... Um, which is, is fine, but one thing that I've had to stipulate now is that I'm not comfortable doing jewelry changes on piercings that are less than, less than a month old, basically. Yeah. That, that you in, didn't do. That I didn't do. In some situations, like if it's just someone has lost a bit of jewelry or they need a downsize on like an oral piercing or something that needs to be changed quite soon, and it's someone, you know, like, oh, so-and-so has referred me here to have this change and the piercing looks healthy, that's that's one thing but if someone's like oh i had this piercing done two weeks ago and it looks infected can you change it i have to be like i i don't feel comfortable doing that because you do inherit the responsibility in the sense that if that person's contracted an infection at the original studio and you're still within the incubation period for that infection you've now created a situation by changing the jewelry where it's impossible to prove if they got it from you or they got it from the other studio yeah so it's not that I doubt the cleanliness of my studio, but if that person wanted to complain to the original place and say, you know, this happened, they'd say, oh, well, they've touched it, they've messed up, you know? So it creates this kind of triangle of liability and sure. responsibility that I just, I can't give all of that time and care to fixing up other people's stuff and take the liability. I just, there has to be like a line somewhere. So I, that was something I added to my FAQ and just tell people and I was like, from my perspective, there has to be a limit to how much legal responsibility I can take for other people's work. You yeah. know, it's one thing chatting away for half an hour about what's wrong with your piercing and how we can help with it, but I, I can't be kind of like handling hot potato stuff all the time. The, the line for me is, is this a piercing issue or is this a medical issue? Yeah. And if something falls into uncontrollable bleeding, potential infection, um, embedding, somebody would have maybe a lip piercing where like the backing was healed over or something like that. That's like very firmly a medical issue because 
we didn't create the piercing. We didn't create the problem. I, I can't take on, you know, I know in, in the real world, to be honest, I know plenty of body piercers, myself included, if there's an embedded backing, sometimes you sterilize a needle, you poke it, you can get it out, and that doesn't really fall into like surgery. You're not using a scalpel or something like that, but still, that is not something that I will accept the liability for if it's a piercing that wasn't done in my studio. That's a, I'm sorry, we're going to have to, you know, ask you to go to the, the urgent care, emergency room, talk to a doctor, talk to a medical professional. Uh, if you even suspect that there's an infection, that is something you should have it checked out by a medical professional because you might need medication, whatever. But it's like, I can't just say, yeah, come in and I'll fix it. Especially if it's like an ego thing of like, oh, the shop down the street did it. I'm yeah. better than the shop down the street. So obviously I can take care of your problem and then you're my customer. Because what if you can't fix the problem? And then what if they say, well, your studio looks like it has a little bit more money than theirs. I'm going to sue you. Well, the other thing as well is you have to enforce those boundaries and enforce them kind of ruthlessly because if you're waiting for people to stop taking advantage, it's never going to happen. I remember, I think, the last person I spoke to before I actually sat and wrote out that section in my FAQ and went, that's it, that's the last time I'm having this particular discussion. Somebody phoned and... Um, basically said, you know, I have this piercing, it's a nipple piercing, I've had it done somewhere else and it's embedding um, and I had it done two weeks ago or a week ago. Can I come in and have you put in bigger jewellery? And I was like, I'm sorry, if it's only a week or two weeks old, you need to go back to the original studio, say to them, put in bigger jewellery for me. They'll probably not even charge you if it's only a week old and you need an upsize because that happens. And they were like, well, I don't really want to go back there because I feel like they messed it up in the first place. And I was like, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, maybe just take out the jewellery then. You know, if you if it's if it's embedding and it, it doesn't look infected, and if it does look infected, um, you know, seek out medical advice if you need it. And they just kind of snapped a little bit and and were like, so you're just going to leave me like this? You're just going to leave me with this this problem? And I just remember thinking like, I don't know you. I yeah. didn't do this piercing. Right. None of this has anything to do with me. You've just popped into my consciousness right now. Um, you know, it's as soon as you assert those boundaries and somebody just comes back at you with like a tirade, yeah. the only thing you should feel is relief that that was the time that you chose to enforce the boundary because that's the person you would have been working with. Yeah, that had, that had right. this problem. And, and then if you couldn't have fixed their problem, they were going to put all that blame on you then. Yeah. Because it's, well, you know, I went to the first shop and it wasn't that bad. And then I went to the second shop and then it got even more fucked after that. But if, if the situation is, I refuse to give up the piercing. I refuse to go back to the original place, even though I went there a week ago. And I want you to fix this for me, even though it's a week to two weeks old. And you say no then that person has other options and, and they don't want to go for any of the other options. So yeah, you're just the more um, convenient. Yeah, so I, I just think it's important for, for piercers maybe that haven't been working as long or that haven't had to be in charge of their own space as long if they don't have like house rules to go by, that it's completely fine to set those boundaries and um, you know have them in writing, have them where people can see so that you can refer to them a little bit like the bus driver, don't make me tap don't the sign. Don't make me tap the sign. Um, and, and if somebody flips out or is angry or upset, that's exactly the reason that you have those boundaries because yep. that's the same person that you'd be dealing with. Um, and if that's all it takes to get them to just change their behavior like that, yeah. it's, it's worth it. That conversation uh, makes me think that there, there are going to be piercers that maybe listen to this episode or maybe hear about our conversation and 
I think sometimes piercers uh, fall into like the oh, are, it's a piercer's responsibility to take care of every client and fix every problem. You're and not blah, Superman. Blah, blah. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, th- like, I, I also want to say like. I'm a business owner. You're a business owner. I have people who are reliant on my studio existing to pay their bills and, you know, and put food on their table and all that stuff. And it's my responsibility as the business owner to make sure that the studio is still there and isn't getting sued and isn't getting closed down by a health department or by a, a, a court or by bankruptcy or whatever. So it's like you can't it's it's unrealistic to fix every problem. It's double unrealistic to think that you can fix every problem that's created by a studio other than yours. Uh, and especially you have to think about it being the real world. Like, not every person who wants to walk through your door is going to be the most kind and understanding and rational person. A lot of them are going to be angry that there's a problem to begin with. They're maybe kind of like kicking themselves for going to like the the not great shop because it was cheaper or more convenient. And then when they try to reach out to maybe a shop with a little bit of a better reputation or more experience and that shop turns them away, they're going to get angry. They're going to get like pissy over it. And it's like, it's ju- it's justifiable in a sense, but you can't accept the liability for someone else's bad work. You can give advice, but sometimes that advice is going to be, I'm sorry, it's time to speak to a medical professional. This isn't a problem that we can fix for you. But that is being helpful though. Taking the time to converse with somebody and look at what the problem is and explain to them what the problem is um, and then advise them on the best course of action. That is what your job is. It doesn't mean that you have to be coerced into doing physical work on them that you're not comfortable with or confident in or prepared to accept the liability of. And there are so many other service type industries where that is completely normal. A mechanic can turn away working on your car. A hairdresser can turn away dyeing your hair if it's too dye damaged. Massage therapists could turn away working on you if you have um, a particular injury, for example, that they don't want to exacerbate. There are so many situations where someone can say, I'm sorry, I don't think I'm the right person to be doing this for you right now. Tattooers turn down work all the time. This isn't my style. I don't think I can rework this successfully in the way that you want. I think that this, this, you know, tissue is too scarred or too fresh. So many situations where that's completely okay and we put so much pressure on ourselves, fix every problem Um, and it's it's unsustainable and at a point, like you say, who are you really going to be able to help if you have a nervous breakdown because you're so overwhelmed with all this stuff or if your business isn't able to stay open because you're so inundated with problems that you've inherited from other studios who don't care nearly as much as you do. Um, I think at a certain point you just have to let some of that stress wash through you instead of catching all of it. Yeah. Uh, something that can kind of lead off of that is um, it, it's it's very scary. So if you don't want to talk about it, we don't have to talk about it. But um, retribution that you might get in like a an online piercer forum or a retribution you might get in like an online review. Ugh. Some of that stuff is yeah. very scary. For me, I think the most... Annoying is probably, um, I. it's hard to, to know because you, you can't see what's really going on, especially in a situation where someone's talked to one shop, then another shop, then another shop. Um, but people aren't always 100% truthful. It's, it's not, not to necessarily say that people outright lie, but people tell you the version of events that best serves their needs. And sometimes there are situations where people have come into the studio and said things to me that I know are a little bit of a porky. 
Um, and like in those situations, you kind of just have to push past it and say, well, let's just focus on what we're dealing with today. For example, say when someone says, oh, I've never changed my jewelry and you can clearly see they're wearing jewelry that wasn't sourced from you. Like those situations where you know a thousand percent, yep, that's not, that's not true. But you kind of just have to go with the flow and push past it. So in situations where I see sometimes piercers online saying, my customer told me this happened, part of me is like, oh, that's awful. But there's this little part of my brain that's like, do you know that that's what happened though? Yeah. Do you know that they're being completely truthful with you about what happened? Clients you know? will never come in and be like, I did this really stupid thing and it's all my fault. It's always, well, this other yeah. shop screwed me up and or they gave me this terrible advice. I see when clients do do that. I really appreciate it when a client comes in and they're like, I've really fucked this up. <laughs> Wait till like, I do have a few clients like that yeah. that are just like, I've completely messed this up. I've did it. I've did everything wrong. Sorry. And you're just like, yeah, let's just deal with it. I really appreciate when people just, because how are you supposed to fix a problem when nobody will tell you what the actual problem is? When people turn up and they're like, I have done everything perfectly. I don't know why my ear's on fire. And you're just like, okay, well, it's a lot harder to help you now. Yeah. So I don't actually mind when people come in and they're just like, I've just been rubbing dirt on it and letting my dog lick it. Like, that's very helpful. Yeah. So something else kind of related to the online sphere that I think can be very scary would be um, creepy customers. And I know that you have probably more experience with creepy customers than I because you, you went to the point where you wrote a class about how to kind of avoid creepy customers. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that I've probably experienced it more than you, but one of the points that I talk about in the class is that um, people of all different, you know, gender, sexes and ages are affected by this problem, but it might not be interpreted the same way. Sure. So for example, somebody might behave in a way towards you that if they behaved in that way towards me, I might be more perceptive to the fact that it's inappropriate. but. Sometimes if you're kind of like a, a bigger, mature guy, it's things just kind of roll off of you differently because you don't have the same sense of fear in your everyday interactions. You know what? Yeah, that's that's a big thing. Like through my through my bias, through my perspective, like I remember having conversations with you when you live in Glasgow. Yeah. You live in like a city where you know, it's it's a it's a big city. Like lots of different issues can come up in a big city. I live in a small city. I, I don't usually feel unsafe. I could walk around almost anywhere at almost any time of day or night and I wouldn't really feel unsafe. So when you've told me some of the experiences that you've had in your life and just like the, the way that you have to think, you know, turning down this certain street at this time of day, like, again, that's just a bias for me because yeah. like, yeah, I don't, I don't feel those same kinds of fears. So yeah, I, I don't want to make it seem like people never do creepy things in my presence. Like before I wrote that class, I'd had multiple conversations with kind of mature male piercers who had told me stories that in, to me sounded horrifying, but they just kind of like, ah, oh, you know, it's a crazy story, what are you gonna do? And I'm like, that sounds, that sounds awful, <laughs> but it's not interpreted the same way. Um, and I'm, it's not like I'm trying to tell them that they should be, you know, scared or fearful or unhappy. It's just one of those things that you probably are exposed to just as many of those situations as me, they're just not perceived, or maybe you're not, I don't know, but they're just not perceived the same way because you're, you're not constantly guarded. Like, um, I think for a lot of us, <clears throat> you have to be constantly aware of things like um, if you live within walking distance of your, of your work, 
how is that going to affect how you walk home at the end of the day? It makes it a lot more sinister when someone calls to ask when you finish, what time you finish, you know? Those, those <coughs> questions that might seem quite innocent take on a totally different meaning if you're somebody that, that walks places or if you're someone that drives and has their car in a car park and you head to that after work. Um, another one of the things that we kind of mentioned in the, the class that I did about how those are things to look out for and you shouldn't phrase things like they get off at this time instead say well um, I'll find when their last available space is or is there a particular time you were looking for but deliberately try and be evasive when it comes to questioning about shift times right um, which is just something a lot of people would never think about because you don't feel like you're gonna you know I never think about that stuff you know yeah. and, and uh, like now that I'm training other people, uh, you know, I have Lily on the front desk, and she has she has aspirations of kind of moving up, moving up the chain in the studio. I have a, a new hire named John who just came in, and you know, part of the the training is like you never give up anyone's personal information on the phone. Like any, in, like the only information I want you giving out on the phone is basically the information that's already publicly listed on the website. Yeah. So if someone says like, oh, hey, what time does, uh, does Lily finish up work on Thursday? It's like, well, you know, we're taking bookings up through eight o'clock. Would you like to talk to one of the piercers? Did you have a question about something? It's not going to be like, well, you know, Lily gets out at 7.30 and is going to be walking to her car at 7.35. Exactly. So all those things like, yeah, sometimes you have to kind of pull yourself out of it and realize that even if you don't find a scenario creepy or scary, uh, that doesn't mean that it's not a creepy scenario. Yeah. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to get too heavy into the the creeps and weirdos because I don't. I don't want the episode to be a downer for people. Sure. So I think we should pivot towards the scariest customers of all, which would be the wild roving Karens. Yeah. Uh, okay. So th this isn't necessarily a, a, a Karen. It kind of falls into that, like you know, uh, unwieldy parents. Yeah. Uh, the only time in my entire career where I've ever genuinely been worried that I was about to be punched in the face <laughs> was um, a dad came in with his daughter and uh, didn't have the IDs. Didn't you know, and like I think that a lot of piercers understand what I mean when I when I say that, and they can already pop like their worst scenario in the in their mind. But it was. Uh, well, okay, I'm going to need a photo ID for you, a photo ID for them, and their birth certificate to show relation. And then it always turns into, but I'm her dad. And it's like, cool, well, you need to, you need to show me that, you know? Um, and then he just got so angry and so angry. And then at the time, uh, this, this probably was 10 years ago because it was in my last studio. Um, and it was like, well, you know, it's clearly listed on the website. We also have this big sign right here on the wall. And whatever and he was like yeah but nobody told me that on the phone and it's like well at a certain point like you are the person who should be asking questions now I see it differently and it's like we're gonna tell you ad nauseum over and over and over and over and over again and sometimes yeah. people still don't have the goddamn IDs when they come in and like those are the worst parents because those are the parents who already don't give a shit like what you need what your rules are because like they're playing by their rules not by your rules so when you tell them and you might be the first person who's told them no in a long time they get so angry and been kind of scary i think part of it as well is that because of the appearance of workers in ta in the piercing studios um and you know tattoo and all body art kind of studios as well Sometimes there's an assumption there that you're not professional because, you know, you're not wearing a suit and tie. 
and there's there's the idea that I can just you know shout at this person and push this person around. You're a kid until you're over fifty years old. You know people probably come in and look at you and think, oh, this punk kid. I'll just push him and you're like I'm 43 years old so. <laughs> um, so I think there is just a sense of there's no recognition of authority like there's no you know no one's in charge here there's no type of authority in this business I can just go in and make demands and you have to be the, just the little person behind the desk it's like yes excuse me sir I'm in charge here um, and, and assert your boundaries and sometimes when that happens I think there is a sense of like I'm not going to let you tell me what to do and you're like well actually you are because it's my studio so we're not going to be doing anything without yeah. that documentation yeah and that goes down hard yeah so something that I that I also train staff on I tell them like you're not the security guard so if someone gets like gorilla about it then it's just like you know, you ask them to leave. You don't like square up to them or whatever. You know, you're, it's you're just Patrick like Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse. Yeah, be nice until it's time to not be nice. Yeah. Yeah, but also just be nice. Um, but yeah, it, people people can't just steamroll you in a studio. People can't just shout at you until like you give up on your your rules and your regulations and your your policies. Or can they? Dot dot dot. I remember um, I had a. I do this at New Year's. I'm not a New Year's person. I don't like New Year's. But like most people, when the New Year starts and you go to work on that first day, and I do a similar thing when I get back from holidays and stuff as well, is I always have this idea in my head of, I'm gonna see how long I can go before someone gets mad at me, you know? Like I'm gonna, it's like starting with a, a fresh- New Year, new yeah, annoyance. Um, like a clean slate. I'm just gonna, everything that happened last year happened last year. Anyone that wasn't happy was last year. This year, I'm gonna just try and focus on customer satisfaction and see how far I can get. And you get to and about that, one in the afternoon. That, that was my like positive mental attitude. And then um, I remember it was the first day of the new year. This was years ago. Um, a, a customer came in um, and were, was asking about earlobe piercing and I was just you know like trying to be really upbeat and I'm going to do such a good job with this it might have even been the first customer of the day and they were asking about getting a piercing on their lobe where their lobe connects to their head you know the point that I'm talking about yeah and this was before the doc I, I remember people calling that a Dagon piercing at one point mm. Well, this person wanted it for anti-anxiety purposes. Sure. And this was before the DOS piercing palaver nonsense. So it was very new to me, this idea that people would be coming in to get piercings done for medical or um, homeopathic purposes. So this person came in and they were like, I'm, I'm wanting to get this piercing done here. And straight away, I was like, well, that's not actually a placement that I typically offer. And I didn't know anything about it. So my default position was to say like, I, I've never done that before, so I wouldn't feel confident just doing it off the bat like that. So sorry, I can't do this. And then they were like, well, it's for anti-anxiety. As if I was going to be like, oh, right, okay then, great. Yeah. So, Not my anti-anxiety. So I was like, well, you know, I can do just a traditional lobe for you. Um, and, and that's pretty much it. So then they were like, oh, right, okay. So they kind of wanted to go ahead and get the lobe piercing done. And then they were getting madder and madder. And you know, when you're just trying your hardest to, to diffuse a situation and it's like someone's, someone's gone out looking for a fight that, that day. And, um, and they probably their anxiety to be fair because they didn't have the, the piercing. So um, I was like, well, so the, you know, the jewelry's titanium and so on. And they were like, I only want to wear silver. 
And I was like, oh, I'm really sorry, but we don't actually pierce with the material of silver. Was we it can werewolf pierce you. anxiety? We, we can pierce you with, um, with silver-colored material, which would be the titanium, and we can anodize it and make it different types of that color. And they were like, no, no, it has to be the material silver. And I was like, well, the thing is that, you know, silver is an implant grade. And then they were like, but it's antibacterial. And I was like, well, it's, it's not biocompatible, you see, because what that means is the heat and the moisture of your body is going to make it discolor really fast. And that's why we can't put it, put it in. And then she just literally shouted, silver has been used for, to fight infection for thousands of years. And then she stormed out of the shop like a tornado, like she just all at once. And I was just kind of left there like, yep. You know, welcome, Happy New welcome, Year. welcome to the new year. <laughs> it was like, you know, when someone, it's just, there was nothing that I could have done to stop that woman yelling at me. Like she was just, she was just out looking for a fight at like lunchtime. Yeah. On like, I don't know, the 3rd of January Maybe or she was hung over. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, all those things are pretty scary. Uh, I feel like we didn't talk much about like bleeding for for piercings that we did do you want to talk about that at all oh. or there are probably two situations i can think of where i had someone bleed to a point that was like uh, it became a thing yeah you know like i've had people bleed where they trickle a little bit of blood and you do a little bit of wound compression and that's one of those things you have a whole a whole video about that on your patreon about um controlling bleeding i'm sure at patreon.com slash ryan pba the very same yeah um so there are two situations that really stick out in my memory. And one of them was I was doing a dermal anchor or surface anchor on um, years ago on my former apprentice's temple. And I didn't use biopsy punches or um, dermal punches on the temple. I would always use a blade needle and I would use biopsy punches for things like the back of the neck and bigger, thicker areas. areas. And then for, for areas where there was very, very little fat and density I would use just the tip of a blade needle so I hoisted everything up because she had a skinny little face kind of lifted everything up as much as I could and made a little hole and then straight away um, blood started uh, coming out the back of the blade needle Ooh, like fountain nice. and it was just like it just it, it literally <laughs> was like a water fountain and I was just this is something that can only happen when a piercer pierces a piercer. Like there's an actual curse that affects me. Don't ask me to pierce you because this is what will happen. So I literally just went you did a great job and, and just put my finger on the back of the blade needle because what else are you supposed to do <laughs> to, to make it so straight away? I was just like, boop. And then I was just hovering there and I was telling them, we were kind of laughing about it. I was telling them what was happening and everything. And I was like, right, this is gonna, we're gonna have to go for this basically. So we just kind of gave it a second and did the thing where you just have to pull the blade out really, really fast and like- Ram the jewelry in. Ram the jewelry in really, and it was actually fine, but she did have a bit of a shiner for a couple for a couple of days. Yeah. But that was kind of one of those things where you're like, well, that was unexpected. And you're like, right now, don't panic, but <laughs> blood is shooting out the back of the, of the blade needle. How so many that was, times that was over your funny. career have you had to tell a, a wide-eyed client of like, oh, a little bleed of bleeding is totally normal. This is fine. Um, I had <clears throat> a customer with a PA once, years ago again, who bled so much that it did start to, like immediately post-piercing, that it did start to get to that point where I was starting to feel worried mm. because I'd never seen that much bleeding before. Yeah. And um, the client was completely laid back. Was and, he completely flaccid? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
And he was just chilled out, so he wasn't worried. So I wasn't worried, yeah. but I was starting to get worried. Well. And um, he would keep flooding the dental bib, the gauze. I would change it, he would flood it. And it was, you know, to the point where it was dripping on the floor. Like, it was an alarming amount. And that was the day that I realized you should always immediately put the foreskin back. Mm. Um, because as soon as, if, as soon as you do a PA, because like more than nine out of 10 of my customers are going to be like intact, uncircumcised people. Um, as you know, like every, every time you pull back the foreskin and you stretch back that skin, even if the piercing is positioned perfectly, and it was an unusual amount of bleeding for sure. Um, as soon as you put the foreskin back in its natural position, there's just like instant perfect compression yeah. and it just stops. And I think we must have filled like three dental bibs before it just dawned on me that I should try that. And straight away it was like turning off a tap. And I remember feeling both like a genius and a moron at the exact same moment. And that, that was one of the things I incorporated into my um, PA fundamentals class about working on intact people is that it might seem like a good idea to like keep the foreskin back to, I don't know, keep an eye on everything well, do you have to or whatever. Visualize it? That would be my but, first um, instinct. But no, put, put the foreskin back down and it's just this instant perfect little squeeze, almost like you're squeezing it with your hand and it just stops and he was completely fine and everything healed up fine after that. But that was kind of one of those moments where, um, you know, like when you realize that if someone has an ear piercing that's bleeding a little more than it should, as long as they're feeling okay, having them sit up kind of just yeah. <laughs> instantly helps it stop because, you know, instead of lying on their back... Um, all and, the blood and, flowing to their head. Yeah, yeah. Um, it just immediately elevates the wound and, and helps stop the bleeding. So you kind of have those little aha moments where you're like, wow, I'm an idiot. Um, so that was, I don't know, seven or eight years ago or something now. So two things that I want to bring up. First off is um, if you're if you're not experienced with genital piercings, uh, that's something that you should really be telling a client before the piercing and reinforcing during your aftercare speech is that it's very common for genital piercings to bleed for one or two or maybe three days, depending mm -hmm. on what it is. If it's through very vascular tissue, mm -hmm. or if it's a piercing that will be uh, affected by someone just moving around and walking. If I'm gonna do a geesh piercing, if I'm gonna do a triangle piercing, I'm gonna tell the person, the more mobile you are, the more active you are, expect maybe a little bit more spotting or bleeding. If this is a, a, a piercing that passes through the urethra, uh, the urethra, tends to bleed quite a bit so like expect bleeding for the first you know one or two or three days if it's like a, a very vascular piercing and ampelang and apodravia then it's like hey you know like it's gonna bleed and like if you don't tell the client that they're gonna be really scared by the bleeding but if you tell them this is what you can expect and then it happens and they they knew it was coming then they won't be as freaked out it'll just be like a, oh yeah they said this would happen i'm prepared for it and in that situation with the PA piercing, probably one of the reasons the guy was so relaxed the whole time was that we talked about it at length, and I guess that he just was prepared for that. Yeah. But I think there are definitely situations where even an experienced body piercer can look at something and be like, I'm starting to feel a little worried about this right now. You know, sure. There are going to be situations, even if you're taking every safety precaution. Um, so I think it's important not, not just to know what to do to make sure everything is safe, but to, to know how to react when things kind of hit the fan a little bit. A, a, a really important thing for me with my understanding of first aid was 
at, at first for a long portion of my career, if someone had bleeding, it would be that like I'd be holding a Q-tip, a cotton swab, a cotton stick, you know, and just like butterfly kissing the wound mm-hmm. and trying to absorb that spot of blood. And now it's like I have to understand the way compression of a wound works is you have to actually compress the entire area and, and try to compress not just the spot of where the the break in the skin is, like try to compress the overall area because what you want to do is compress the blood vessels under the surface, the blood vessels that are feeding that wound, that broken skin. And that's where you want to create uh, uh, the, the clotting. So think of it as like a, a garden hose and you spring a hole in it. And if you just try to like hold a piece of paper towel over the garden hose, the water is still going to be leaking out. But if you pinch the garden hose further back, you're going to restrict the flow of that water and less water is going to come out the hole. That's the way that like clotting a wound would work. Compress the site and what you're going to do is internally fibrin and and, uh, platelets are going to start to to pile up behind that break in the skin and it's going to form a clot faster and it's going to stop bleeding sooner. Um, you're not just absorbing and collecting the blood that's leaving the body. You want to you want to compress that area so you can restrict the blood flow before it gets to the wound, the piercing, the break in the skin. And like understanding how the body bleeds when there's a, a break, uh, when there's a hole, you know, in the in the hose. Like understanding uh, how to how to stop that makes a huge difference in your career as a piercer. And it's less about like panicking because this blood is coming out, and then it's trying to control. The bleeding in the first place and getting it to stop and then like having everything be fine so the client can can leave with a not bloody piercing yeah so that's kind of all i wanted to talk about with scary stuff um i wanted to talk about just like a quick couple of minutes of like stuff that's going on with the industry stuff that like you know people might want to think about if they're a body piercer uh i want to talk about scholarships it's scholarship season so right now, uh, scholarship applications are open for the 2023 APP conference. Uh, they're going to be open until, I believe, either the first or the second week of January. So you have a- about two months uh, right now to to apply. But don't wait until December 31st to put your application together. Go to the website, safepiercing.org, read about the application process, Put together a solid application and you have a, a much better chance of actually getting a scholarship, getting awarded a scholarship and coming to the APP conference. And keep in mind that this is a, a, a financial scholarship. Scholarships are not for people that really want to help and really want to contribute and really want to be part of putting on conference. Like volunteering is different from a scholarship. Yes, you will have to volunteer, you will have to put in some work at conference, but the scholarships are for people who can't afford to pay to go to conference on their own. They're financial aid. So go ahead and put that scholarship together. And there are some scholarships for UK APP for next year too, right? Yes. Do you want to I don't know because I'm not on the board anymore. That's I, don't, a good I know point. that there are scholarships. Okay, message, um, message. Becky or because but I'm not sure if the because I know the LGBTQIA plus scholarship is now an annual scholarship which, which is, is great. lovely um, I know that they that last year they did the Nikki Holmes scholarship yep um, I don't know if that's going to be annual because I haven't asked I assume it's going to be annual uh, because why wouldn't it be um, but I'm the wrong person to ask because I'm not on the board so I don't know shit okay well that brings me to my my next little bit is uh 
I think uh, nominations are, are closed, but there's an APP, uh, you know, US APP Board of Election cycle, Board of Election, Board of Directors election cycle yep. happening right now. You and I were both nominated um, because somebody hates us, apparently. Yep. Uh, we both turned it down. Do you want to talk about your reasoning as to why you turned something like that down? Yeah. Um, it The biggest, biggest reason um, is the financial aspect of having to travel to attend board meetings in person, even though I understand you're um, compensated for travel expenses and things. It, every, you know yourself taking the time off work, it's not just the, the cost of the money to do something, it's the loss of the money from not earning. Yeah. And in the UK right now, the, the energy crisis for people that aren't there basically means that a, a business's electricity costs will have gone from £2,000 a month for, oh, sorry, £2,000 a year, for example, to £10,000 a year. So these are massive, massive problems for tiny businesses. Yeah. Um, when she says energy crisis, that's not like a shortage of energy. That's no. the cost of energy has gone up four to 500% depending on yeah. you know what city you're in. And inflation's risen 10%. Oh my so God, yeah. Because these are problems that affect everyone, they affect all of your client base. So all, everybody's disposable income has been completely annihilated. A, a, annihilated. Everyone's having to spend all of their money on energy. Um, and the worst thing about it is the, the state of flux where people don't know how much things are going to be because the worst case scenario just keeps being dangled in front of them and it keeps getting worse because the energy bills now are still double what they were last year. So they're quadrupling now, but last year they doubled. So. It's, we're talking about an insane amount of money, more than rent yeah. now, to pay for heating and electricity. Yeah. So it's a massive problem. Um, and well, I, I don't think a lot of people are going to be able to take you know, excess time off work. No. That, well, so speaking as, you know, you were, you were on the UK APP board for years. I was on the APP board for years. Some people might not realize that, like, to go off... Even for teaching trips, for conferences, to do that stuff, like between August, between uh, the middle of August and the end of September, I only worked, uh, I think, three days. I only pierced three days out of like weeks, weeks and weeks. Mm -hmm. um, and like, you know, my, my business is at a point where I can, I can get away with that for a point. You know, I can go a couple of weeks with like sparse days because I have coverage. This, this time I actually had to bring in a, a guest piercer. Um, just to be able to, to cover it all, which, you know, there, there's a lot of expense that goes into that. So the, the board the board members, the volunteers, the instructors at conference, just please don't ever forget that they're taking time away from their businesses, time away from their families. That means that they're going to have a, a significantly smaller amount of, of income during that time, and that is their volunteerism. So for the board, uh, energy, money, whatever it is that, that goes into it, uh, I just don't have it right now, and yeah. I just can't, I can't... Not to say that it would be a foregone conclusion that I would win, because there are a lot of amazing people that are going to be running for, for the board this time. Yeah. But I just, even if I were to win, please no. <laughs> like, I just can't... I don't have it in me to take all that time away from work right now yeah, like or if, for the next three years. If there wasn't an energy crisis, I still don't know if I would have accepted the nomination. Like there's a there's a, a higher likelihood that I would, but I can't say for sure that I would because I'm not entirely sure that 
I'm ready to just open myself up to everyone being casually really shit to me again. Yeah. Um, because like, I like you say, you you lose so much money, and it, it's also really downplayed how it affects your personal life and how you interact with other people, because people in the industry treat you differently. People that you thought were friends treat you differently. And, uh, and it's all fun. You it's lose all, a lot of friendships and, and it's all being okay. on the board. It's all fun and games because you brought it on yourself. Yeah. At least that's what it was like for me. Is well, you you know you did this to yourself, so this is what you get. It's it's a really really horrible aspect of it. Um, and then there's also the aspect of your friendships and relationships outside, where um, people don't really understand why you're so stressed about what it is you're doing because they they don't get it. So yeah. I actually found it to be like a very isolated position to be in. Part of me feels like I wouldn't be um, as affected by it to do it again, knowing what it's like now and yeah. being being more realistic. But at the same time, like I'm not sure that I want to open myself up for that again. And I, I do feel like it's not like I'm a fucking prize or anything. But yeah, I, I, d- I do feel a little bit like sometimes the industry shoots itself in the foot by um, kind of creating a a situation and a dynamic whereby people just kind of get run out of wanting to help and wanting to take part because it does get to a point where it's like, fuck this, you know? Well, I I have multiple uh, industry acquaintances who have have said something along the lines of, well, I I had the option in front of me where I could either be married or I could be on the board. I could either stay in my relationship or I could stay on this committee, you know, stuff like that. Uh, and then there are people who volunteered for years. They were on committees for years. They were an instructor for years. They were on a board for years. And then when they wrapped it up, they were like completely done, out, gone. Like, I don't, I can't do this anymore because I've, I've seen the negative impact it's had on my life. Yeah. So um, just don't ever forget that the people who are volunteering, it's not just them volunteering for ego's sake. Um, they're, they're doing it because they love the industry and there is a detriment. To, to, you know, to be honest, like, I don't want to push anyone away from it. If that's an aspiration of yours, go for it. Run it down to its potential, you know, con- contribute where you can, but realize that there is a cost to this stuff, personal, professional, financial, otherwise. There is a cost to, to giving a lot of your time and energy to another entity. If you're a sadist, perfect. Ideal. Yeah. Yeah. I've got some new bullshit on Patreon. Uh, my, my Patreon subscription model has changed. So I, Patreon used to do this thing, and it was really similar to my, my New Japan Pro Wrestling subscription, where they would charge you for your first month up front, and then they would charge you again on the first of the next month, and then the first of every following month. So if you signed up on, let's say, October 31st, um, you're going to get charged for all of October on the day that you sign up, and then you would get charged again on November 1st when that new month started. So Patreon got rid of that system, thankfully. So now it's a subscription model just like everything else, just like Netflix, just like whatever. You, uh, you sign up on whatever date, and then four weeks later they charge you again, four weeks later they charge you again. So if you've been like holding off on signing up for my Patreon because of that, uh, which plenty of people have. That's why I, I never advertise things late in a month. I would only advertise things early in a month. But they changed it. So you can sign up whatever you want, and it's just a regular old subscription model. So if you've been holding off, give it a shot. I just published a new video all about vertical librette piercings, um, which has, I think, a lot of helpful info about placement and marking and showing people's face in different positions and lots of different tips and tricks and stuff. So 
uh, I would love it if you sign up on there and I have you know new stuff planned for it we also have something planned for uh, for webinars uh, coming up in I think January is probably the best time to do it you know let people spend whatever they need to spend for the holiday season but uh, I think probably around <laughs> very cute she just stuck her hair stick through her septum because it's a big old hole in her snoot anyway uh, once we get to you know later in the year maybe around like December I'll open up registration but in January we're gonna do a webinar and we've got two different options but I think the best one to do would be the the jewelry stuff do you want to give like a quick little teaser about what your transition class is? Um, so my my transition class is um, transitioning. It was it was originally written as transitioning from uh, external to internally threaded jewelry, but I actually changed it to now just be transitioning away from externally threaded jewelry. So it includes things like threadless jewelry. Otherwise, the title was just becoming insanely long. Um, so it's tr transitioning away from externally threaded jewelry, the client conversation, basically. So um, what it's about is how we focus almost exclusively in the way we communicate with each other as piercers about how you should be a better piercer and what you should be doing to be a better piercer. And we can understand those concepts, but clients don't hear them the same way that we do and they don't understand the same small differences and things that we do. And that's why you can show a client two pieces of jewelry of wildly varying, uh, wildly varying quality, and they kind of don't see much of a difference. Maybe, maybe one is a tiny bit shinier. Silver barbell, silver um, barbell. Yeah, um, so a lot of the things that we appreciate in quality is lost in translation, especially considering the way that we often communicate with each other. If we talk that way to clients, it's not always the best way to make a sale. So it's really about how you educate clients on those things and how you talk to them in a way that translates well and how it can be harmful to your business to just rest on words like safe and safety. Because without going into too much detail, when you rely solely on phrases and, and concepts like safe and safety, you create safe and unsafe. And when you're transitioning, that's like saying, um, well, what I used last week was unsafe and this is safe. And that discredits you from having a professional opinion to your client because how are they gonna trust you now and spend even more money with you now when you're saying, oh, that stuff that I used before, totally unsafe, now this stuff is safe. You yeah. know, so we need to find other ways of communicating and expressing better value and better quality than just being like, well, it's safe. Don't you want the safest thing? A lot of people don't want the safest thing, actually. They want the cheapest thing. Yeah, a whole, whole lot of people don't want the safest thing. So when you're hit with that roadblock, you need somewhere else to go to. You need lots of other avenues of conversation. And that's really what the class is about, is how to make sure that there's always something that you can say to give them something to think about. Um, you, you can't just give up when someone basically says, I don't care about safety. Well, it's a it's a great class. I got to watch you. Who'd you do it for? LBP. Yes. Yeah, it was it was brilliant, and I, I'm really glad that you still have it because it was on your old laptop that disintegrated, yeah. and then we had to, uh, well, you had to recover it mm -hmm. uh, onto a hard drive. So it, it's good that you still have that class because you didn't have it in like a cloud server or anything like that. I actually do have um, a version of it saved, but it's only about 90% finished because I had to submit it for review. Yeah. So there is a version of it that's, I think, 
in my drive somewhere, but it's not like the finished You finished put version. so much finished work into it. I that, put, it yeah. takes me a lot of time to prepare yeah. classes. Well, like, they're great. For, to get the visual I want and everything. So um, it's I've definitely got it on the hard drive. drive and if not, I have like a 90% finished version that I can work from. So well, either way, the, the class will live again. Uh, and then I, I'm, I want to pair it with my uh, ethical sales strategies class because both of them are really important conversations. Um, if you don't already have the jewelry, you have to know how to bring the jewelry in in a way that doesn't destroy your credibility yeah. with your existing client base, but also bring in the new kind of clientele that might want that jewelry. But then like the, the second part of that kind of issue is, well, you have to be able to sell that jewelry to be able to make your money back and reinvest it into more jewelry and to grow your studio. And that's what my ethical sales strategy class is. I know that some shops get really excited or they feel a lot of pressure about we have to sell this stuff. So sometimes they might have slippery ethics it might be more about like let's just sell the highest ticket thing instead of uh something that might have a higher ticket but also still suits the client well serves the client well and that's really what my class is about it's like ways that you can present the jewelry sell the jewelry but being respectful to the client's budget being respectful to the client's body and to create return clientele like that whole like you can uh you know shear a sheep over and over again but you can only skin them once you know and, and sometimes like if you try to push expensive jewelry on a client it, it might be kind of it might put a sour taste in their mouth and they might not come back to you because they might be like well they tricked me into buying this $200 piece of jewelry and blah 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 blah. so yeah. my class is about how to do it respectfully how to do it ethically uh, your class is how to bring it in and I think they, they work really well together so expect us to talk more about that later on this year opening up registration for probably sometime around January uh, and I think that, that that can be really good I also really want you to do your your bridge class but I think that that might be something that you end up doing at conference next year the APP conference next year fingers crossed so um, you know keep an eye out basically for Lola's bridge class in the, the US or online at and some point. if I don't get to do it just write angry letters super angry write letters. angry letters yeah super super angry letters don't post them but it's good to get out your emotions that way yeah well uh, I appreciate everybody listening to our spooktacular scary stories from the piercing room episode uh, and, and realize that we recorded and edited and published all of this stuff this morning. If you're listening to this on Halloween, happy Halloween. But also, you know, uh, we did it all today. So, uh, Freshly squeezed. Freshly squeezed pumpkin podcast. Mm. Uh, anything else you want to say? No. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, uh, you can find my, my bullshit at patreon.com slash Ryan PBA. And uh, I love you. Just to everyone else. Yeah, not you, Lola, okay. just everyone listening. Okay. All right. You want to say anything else now? Um, happy Halloween. Okay. Bye. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved.